it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And the Arizona Wildcats are the Territorial Cup champs, Brett. Arizona, 38, ASU, 35. It was a hell of a football game that ended with the good guys on top. So, yeah, we'll take it, I'm sure. As God intended, the Territorial Cup is in Tucson. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it was not without its drama, right? Like this was a it was a game where it started off the way we thought, you know, I thought Arizona was going to win 38-20, so I was half right, I guess. But it didn't strike me as a game that would be close. I thought Arizona would cruise, and for the first little bit it looked like that was going to happen. Arizona gets a stop on the first drive, then goes down and scores a touchdown. Then Arizona gets a turnover, you know, then they basically go three and out, but recover them off punt. You're like, okay, they're going to be up 14 nothing. Arizona made just enough mistakes, I think, to keep a spunky ASU in it. But at the end of the day, like Arizona also made just enough plays to win. So like that that's football. Well, I, I think uh, to defend our our rival, if you want to call them that, <laughs> um, Borgay was an amazing game manager in that game. Like, granted, he had those couple of forced turnovers at the end, but that guy was incredible. He was operating a very efficient offense. Arizona's defense held X validate you know, at four, four yards a carry under a hundred yards. Yeah, he had to you work know, for it. You know, that's, that's pretty darn good. Uh, you know, Michael Wiley was, you know, became, became a legend that day uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in Arizona Wildcats lore. You know, the guy that we've talked about is maybe the most underappreciated cat of his era. And now he's I appreciated now. Yeah. yeah I think <laughs> she's more than appreciated. Um, and you know, the, the, it was a game where, I rewatched it. You know, I was at the game. It was just a weird game in in the sense that it was, you know, Arizona didn't didn't necessarily make a ton of huge mistakes, but they also weren't putting the ASU away. And ASU on like Borgay made like no mistakes up until the end, basically, and it kept them, you know, moving the ball effectively. And Michael Wiley just, you know, had some long plays and and, and long runs, which allowed ASU with their efficient offense to kind of control the ball, which I think is what kept it close. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think the better team won. Yeah, I, the better team did win. Arizona was better, and I think, I mean, they showed that. They did just enough, but it, was, it is a weird game when you look at it because ASU offensively was dominant. You know, Arizona couldn't stop them save for the turnovers, which obviously happened. Like, you can't take that away from Arizona, them taking the ball away from ASU. But ASU was methodical, driving up and down the field. I forget how many plays they had, but it was almost like, you know, a third more than Arizona ran. It's not because Arizona's offense was bad. Arizona's offense was great, just the big plays. And I look at that, and I'm like, okay, 
you know, ASU did really well, but Arizona had such short drives that were touchdowns, right? A four-play touchdown drive. They had a seven-play, a three-play, a two-play touchdown, a four-play touchdown drive. Uh, it was wild how it seemed like every time in – when I go back to games like this, like how many times do we say Arizona had a chance to go up two scores, how big that is, right? Arizona in this game, they got up by 10 a couple times, blew it, the lead both times. But when ASU took the lead, every time Arizona answered right back. ASU never had the ball with a chance to make a two-score lead. So, you know, it's it wasn't pretty in ways, but like Arizona's offense, <laughs> we're so used to them throwing it up and down the field. And Delore, and Delore wasn't bad. He threw one interception, and Jed Fish, I know after the game, said it was like the worst play call in Territorial Cup history. He's like, why did I throw the ball? I put Jay in a bad spot. It was a really good play by the ASU linebacker to get a hand on that ball. I'll give credit there. Otherwise, Delore was fine. He didn't do anything wrong. He made some good throws. He scrambled some. He was fine. The receivers made plays. Dorian Singer was good yet again. But when you can run the ball like that, I mean, what, what else do you need? Like it was, it reminded me of the 2016 game, which coincidentally was the last time Arizona beat ASU before this one, where they didn't throw a pass in the second half and won, which is like run, run, and just like chewing up the way they did. Like it was, it was nice to see, and it was weird to see at the same time. That's the way this game played out. Well, it was weird because it wasn't ball control running. It was 70-yard no. touchdown runs, right? Um, I mean, ASU like, had the ball for nearly 38 minutes. Well, I, but, that's yeah, wild. And, well, and part of the weird part of that is ASU, you know, Arizona's offense actually had, you know, 9.4 yards per play versus ASU 6.2. So does that mean, you know, which offense was better that day? I mean, I, it's, 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 it's a weird tale of statistics right yeah ultimately arizona was putting the ball in the end zone efficiently and that made the defense stay on the field and they you know they made asu work for it that you know the crossing routes asu was just deadly with borgay had some really you know clever uh you know runs where he pulled the ball or or, or avoided a sack here and there and converted on some fourth downs and honestly if the you know if that the, the interception wasn't uh, if Arizona had scored a touchdown there instead of throwing an interception maybe the game dynamic changes considerably been, I think 17-7 at that time and Arizona just doing whatever they wanted to with ASU yeah exactly so it was it's it's a weird game where you know Arizona's just the better overall team and it they emerged victorious accordingly but it's just so weird with the time of possession difference but then also the yards per play tells you a completely different story than the total yards and what ASU had 39 first downs to U of A's 19 but <laughs> U of A only had 19 because they were scoring you know Michael Wilde was scoring a touchdown half the plays yeah pretty much and it's it's not necessarily how they drew it up, but you take it. I know there were some concerns, like obviously when Arizona got the strip sack in the fourth quarter late, when they just need to get a first down and the game's over. And on third down, it was third and one. And I know DJ Williams tripped over Jane Dolores' feet because it was a wide open hole. We're like, oh, geez. And of course, on fourth down, uh, the line misses a block. ASU gets the stuff. I'm like, oh, gee, like Arizona's up three, but I know ASU has no timeouts, but that's plenty of time for the way they've been chewing up Arizona's defense. And then Jacob Manu. Like, and of course, you know, Isaiah Taylor too, but like, I, this defense, I remember I tweeted out, I'm like, let's give some props to that defense, right? Because they were on the field a lot, and I'm not saying they had a good game. Like, I'm also not sure what they could have done differently when it's three-step drops and guys are running crossing routes. Like, it's hard. You know, like, they made ASU work in this game. But there weren't a lot of opportunities, I think, to make plays that they didn't make. But came down to the end, the last two drives ASU had, one got into deep into Arizona territory. They were in field goal range to tie it, and Jalen Harris and Manu combined for the sack, right? That's the way it picks up. Like, they made plays, and that's what defense is. Like, they say bend but don't break, but that's the epitome of, like, you know what? You need to make a play 
And the defense, like we see, I was watching the North Dakota State game was on Pac-12 Network earlier. You know, at the end of that game, when Delora went down the field and hit Cowing, like they need a play. The offense made the play. Well, in this game, yes, the offense got the lead, but it was like eight minutes left to go in that game. The defense got two stops from that point, two turnovers Mm -hmm. on AC's next two drives. Like you don't expect that from this defense. And it doesn't mean that the defense had a great game, but they were great when they had to be. Yeah, I, I think the North Dakota State game is a really good comparison because they they weren't good, but they were opportunistic, right? Uh, they 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 were bluntly kind of hoping ASU's offense would beat themselves, uh, but that didn't happen with Borgay, except for there was. But they were opt- opportunistic in those last two plays where they really those were true forced turnovers, right? Like that yeah. wasn't just waiting for a mistake. Jacob Manu, who I'm pretty sure technically I was listening to the Wildcaster uh, podcast with our friend of the pod, Michael Lev. And statistically, Jacob Manu gets no credit for either of those plays by the way the rules are. But he is a legend from those two plays because you can't split uh, I'm a sack showing on him a with forced it. fumble. I'm showing him. Sure you can. It's a sack forced fumble. Well, yeah, but if the Lev was saying that it's, it goes to Harris, who is the one that was credited with the forced fumble. Mm. And I'm you showing on the stats the that Manu has a sack in the game. One sack. Well, Maybe maybe we need to fact check Lev, but uh, also, I hate to do that. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like, it's... Also, but but all, and and but also, how about uh, the the heady play that I, I think it was Jackson Turner when the ASU guy was it was it Valade or a different player that was oh trying it was to White get, yeah when Valade was out yeah the yeah. freshman yeah when he was trying to rip the ball out of his hand he was trying to be clever and like oh I'm not technically down yet let me get an extra half yard and you know Jackson Turner if if this is his last game as a Wildcat what a what a what a game he had and um, topped by that play right. Uh, where he he pulled the ball loose and just grabbed it from him, and that was a, that was when I think the game was almost assuredly the tide was turned. Uh, I thought the game was over at that after that touchdown because it was like two plays later Wiley took it in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah, yeah. I think the it's it's just like like you said the North Dakota State game though where they got those two stops at the end when they had to. They were getting beat most of the game trying to their bend not break. Partially that's by design I think in both the North Dakota State and ASU game plans, but. You know, when it mattered at the end in both of those games, they got the stops and the defense was good enough to, to you know, to pick up the, the Arizona offense and get the win. And how, how great is that for this team? Because the whole season we knew it's like this offense was good. The defense was probably where they lost some games. And granted, like I blame the offense more because I know the offense should be better. But how great is it that in this game, like the offense wasn't bad. Like it doesn't like Delora didn't put up eye popping numbers, but I thought he was good. I thought he was pretty efficient in this game. Didn't really make mistakes save for the one interception, which you could say wasn't necessarily on him. But the offense was good, but the defense, the defense made the plays. The defense sealed the win. You know, for a season where you could say the defense wasn't good, and it wasn't statistically, I don't have it in front of me right now. I was gonna pull them up. Okay, they they weren't good. You know, eleventh in total defense, tenth in rushing defense, eleventh in scoring defense. The defense wasn't good. But the defense, you could argue, won the ASU game. You know, certainly saved the ASU game. Now, maybe if ASU scores before the you know strip sack, Arizona has enough time to go down the field and score a game-winning touchdown. Like it's very conceivable because they only needed like three plays to run for seventy-five yards. I get that, but I think for when you're trying to build a team and a program for Jed Fish, it's nice to be able to say, like Johnny Nansen had a rough season, but there was improvement. This defense with the, the new guys. I know Harris isn't coming back next season, but Jacob Manu's going to be back, right? Isaiah Taylor's going to be back. There's so many players who made an impact, made these plays, are going to be part of this program, barring any unforeseen transfers, you know, next season. And it was kind of like a complete victory, right? It wasn't like they won 38-3, to but offense made big plays. Defense made big plays. Special teams came through, made big plays, got a turnover. You know, Tyler Hoop made the field goal. 
Like that's a team win in a game where they needed every single phase to come through. They did. So I think I think the the main point there is that it's it's a complimentary win, right? Like it's a complete team win. I, I think it's a stretch to say that the defense won the game so much as they didn't lose it, like they maybe did against Cal. You make plays like that, though, right? And that that's what I'm getting at, Brett. Is that when you look back at this game, what are people going to remember the most? Michael Wiley's excellence, right? His domination, just at that performance, and the plays the defense made. When you look at this season, how many times do you say, "I remember the play the defense made in a win." Not not too many, <laughs> right? And that, that's what I mean. So the lasting image, the lasting impression from this team is that hey, the defense came through. I think that means something for this yeah. team. I think it means something for the building of this program. Well, and I think to that point, you know, there was the, the the Arizona defense was trending in the wrong direction as they entered the middle part of that schedule, starting with the Cal game and into the gauntlet, right? But towards the end, they started to trend a little more in the positive direction and probably not coincidentally when some of the younger guys were getting more reps and leaned on more heavily and the defense started rotating a lot more, you know, Jacob Manu being maybe first and foremost among them. But look at Tai Tai. That guy, for an undersized defensive tackle, was making some real plays as a true freshman. Deuce Davis and Pizzian's Prysock. And that that kind of development and improvement, uh, you know, over the the last couple of games and capped with this ASU game is a is a really good solid building block and and valuable experience for those guys who are going to be back and heading it and as we head into a new uh you know gird your loins we're about to head to, into another Jed Fish offseason <laughs> and I don't know if I my body is ready but you know if 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 this Arizona defense can make a leap similar next year to what the Arizona offense did this year oh you know, geez that's a lot to ask <laughs> yeah but look if at they what, become top half of the Pac-12 then they're going to be really good yeah well but but but, but but look at the true freshmen and the young guys that played and played yeah. well. And there's going to be a bigger leap between true freshman and sophomore year than there is maybe between any any kind of leap. You know, think back to Scooby Wright when he was a true freshman. You're like, what a nice player. And then sophomore year, he, you know, won the defensive player of the year nationally. Right? Sure, sure. Um, and I and so I think there's a lot of a lot of foundation there. And then Arizona knows where they need to go find some extra talent at a couple of key positions. And if they're able to do that. Uh, you know, that goes a long way and we'll see uh, how Jed Fish is able to recruit, especially when he, you know, sees the future here as being so bright. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned foundation is the key word there, right? Like we can talk about we're gonna talk we have another segment to go with football. We're not done talking football because this was a fun season. Arizona finishes five and seven. Of course, Jed Fish got a contract extension. That news came out. Much deserved. I think we were ready to give it to him at like halftime of the San Diego State game. But Arizona waited a little bit longer to get it done, but they got it done. But yeah, the foundation from this program, from where it was two years ago at this time, right, to where it is right now, with a lot of the new players, the players that Jed Fish and his staff have brought in, like there were still some holdovers that played well. Jordan Morgan was great this season. You know, Michael Wiley we're talking about. You know, these are guys who are part of the old regime. You know, Jalen Harris was part of the old team. You know, so there's guys, I must say holdovers, that's not the right term, but players who this staff has helped coach up and bring into the fold who made an impact. But there's also the guys they brought in, the true freshmen, the transfers. And you start to really see that the foundation word that you brought up, Brett, has been laid for this program. Right. Like you win five games this year. It's not anything that you don't celebrate five wins except, yeah, you kind of do for Arizona this season based on where they were. And you know that there's room to improve, but it certainly seems like the future that we talked about, the future was bright. Well, there's reason to believe that even more so after this one. So, yeah, I think it wasn't just the ASU game, but the ASU game kind of showed how far this program has come and where it could still be going. No, so I think I think that's right, Adam. And you know, it it 
you know, we talked last week of whether the win or loss here would dictate whether the season was a success or a, you know, or not. And I scoffed at the notion, but also it's a lot better to end the season on a win uh, and be at five wins, which I believe also was both of our uh, win total calls for the year. We didn't pick all the games right, but I think that was our preseason win call. On the on the whole, we got it right though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so you know, five wins, you know, quintupling your two win total or, or two season total from the prior two years, and and beating your rival uh, and having a lot of this this positive momentum uh, in terms of the young guys on the defense and and heading into that Jetfish off season, it's hard not to feel optimistic. For sure, for sure. Well, Brett, let's take a break and we come back. Let's talk about what this season means for this program going forward because obviously five wins, like we said, you're not in a bowl game, unfortunately, but it seems like there's a lot to feel good about with this program and what they've done. And we'll talk about that and more with a mailbag. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're back, and as promised, we're going to do a mailbag this week. Of course, Arizona football season ended. Five wins, not bad. Five and seven, three and six in the conference. Of course, the win over ASU has most people feeling pretty, pretty good. So we sent out a mailbag question on our Twitter account, at Wildcat Radio ASU, with a fancy new image now, fancy new profile pic. So that's cool. But We Brett, look nice. Yeah, <laughs> nice. We're classy now. So, Brett, what do, what do Wildcat Radio 2.0 listeners, what do they want to know? What are their questions? So let's start with Jam Band Degenerate Gambler at Gambler Jam. Uh, how big of an extension do we give Jed? Now, of course, this was before the news of Jed Fish's contract extension came out. And I know with the state of Arizona, with the Board of Regents and all that, the most a contract can be is five years. So I understand Arizona waiting to do a two-year extension after the two years because, hey, after a one-win season, you're like, okay, we like what he's doing, but you know, we need to see more. I think we can spin this as... The contract extension is well-deserved, a good move from Arizona. I guess the biggest question is, what does the buyout look like? But otherwise, it's a good move to say, yeah, we believe in Jed Fish. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if the question is trying to say how big in terms of dollars or in terms of years. Uh, I think we have with the news today, it was going to be five years, and it is five years. So it's adding two years on after burning yeah, two years. keeps I the contract was, at the maximum five years, yeah. You know, I, I think he was due to make $2.8 million next year. Um, which is a raise over the first two years. And I b- would guess that he probably gets a bit of a raise on top of that for the, the existing contract years. Um, but I, I, I think that the, you know, I think the biggest points of this uh, extension are one, what you mentioned, the, the buyout. And, you know, hopefully you can kind of make it a, a little more financially painful if somebody poaches Coach Fish in the next couple of years, which, 
you know, that's a that's a win uh, for mm-hmm. Arizona if they're Absolutely. doing that well. And then they'd have, you know, it's a good thing to have people pay you money to hire away your coach rather than you pay them money to go away, right? Um, but I'm also really curious to see if part of this is going to be raises for the, the coaches and the training staff. You know, Tyler Owens has done a really good job. Uh, the assistant staff has done really well. I think Kevin Cummings is going to be getting a lot of looks and can probably parlay at least at least a raise out of mm-hmm. uh, flirting with some people, and deservedly so based on his recruiting and the, the performance of the receiving group. Um, and I think Tyler Owens is a guy that should should get a, a pretty big raise. You know, it's his first time in the in this role, and he's been doing a pretty good job. Uh, not an on the field coach, as it were, but somebody that's I think important to the development of the team. Um, so I, I, I don't know if we, ha- I don't know. Do you think that, what do you think his, uh, his salary raise is going to be? I assume there's going to be one. Yeah, I, I would think so. But I would imagine too, for Jed Fish, a lot of it is what you mentioned, the assistance, raising the coaching, yeah. like the money pool for the assistance, because Jed Fish believes in continuity. He lost Don Brown after his first season, of course, and lost a little bit more after that. But, you know, he wants to keep the guys around. And someone like Kevin Cummings would be, I would think, highly sought after after what Arizona's receivers did this season. Um, I don't think Jed Fish deserves to be in the top half of the conference in terms of money. Granted, the conference is going to shrink by two teams to the higher paid coaches in a, a year. But I think he definitely needs to be shown like, hey, we believe in you kind of money. Whatever that is, if he was supposed to make $2.8 million in 2023, maybe get him to three. You know, different bonuses, maybe you restructure it to where if you win six games, you go to a bowl game, you make that much more money, different things. Because he's still unproven, right? Like he, We like what he's done. The, the bar was very low. For us to be excited about what he's done. His off seasons have been great. And he's had one season where we're like, hey, that was that was nice. It still wasn't a bowl game. They still didn't play great all throughout. They still have questions. And so does Jed Fish. But I think it's more of the, you know what? We like what you've done. We want to make sure. And that's where the buyout comes in. Because if he has a great season, if they win eight games next year, is a bigger school going to become looking? Probably. Yeah, I would think so. But you want to make sure you want to make it clear to Jed Fish that you still believe in him and that you want to reward what he and that coaching staff have done. But I think for him, probably a little bit north of three million is what he should get to. But I imagine or I'd hope most of the money in this is like dedicated to the assistants and keeping a Tyler Owens, keeping a Kevin Cummings, keeping a Dwayne Walker, keeping these guys around and happy because they are a big part of what Arizona's accomplished and what you think Arizona's going to be able to accomplish in the future. Yeah, I th- I think. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in in the mid threes, which would be a sizable raise. Um, just because if you go and look at what some of the other coaches are making, it's it's kind of embarrassing how little uh, Coach Fish has made. Well, but I think should he have made a lot? Like his initial contract, what would you expect, oh, yeah. right? Well, he's a first time head coach, so I mean, it makes it, it's it's more of like you know, he was paying Herm Edwards three point nine million dollars to be terrible, and then paid him what ten million dollars to go away, right? Yeah, uh, and Jed Fish was has been making. Uh, 2.6 I think I think he's the lowest paid coach in the Pac-12 which uh, that'll be remedied I'm, I, I I agree also I think um, maybe it's not as much in salary but you put in some sizable you know success bonuses uh, you know making bowl games getting certain win totals and you can really ramp that up and I think Fish would bet on himself in that regard yeah yeah I think so but no it's a good move it's a type of situation it's kind of like Earlier when Sean Miller first got there, and of course, Tommy Lloyd, I don't know if he got the extension after last year, but if you're Arizona, when you have a coach that you do believe in, you can't make the contract any longer than five years, but you keep doing it. Do you remember, how, God, when was it when it was like the oil money to keep like Rich Rodriguez and Sean Miller and I think Greg Byrne around too? Like yeah. if they're around for 10 years, they cash out like invest. And if they leave early, it doesn't. And 
like Byrne left on his own and they fired Miller and Rodriguez before I think the 10 years. So I don't know how that works. Like it was meant to keep these guys around just in case. And I guess they didn't, I mean, Byrne left, but the other guys didn't leave on their own accord, but yeah, the coach wants to leave. They're going to leave. Back in those days when we thought we had the perfect trio of head basketball, football, and coaches, and uh, an athletic director, <laughs> but like, and that's like the buyout. We talk about that, and you're right. Like, if if Jed Fish does such a good job to where an SEC school or a Big Ten or whatever they're going to be called, you know, comes looking for him and wants to pay him five million a year, there's not much you can be able to do to stop that. But you take that, but you put that buyout, and then you make it big, so that way when they when he does leave, or if he does leave, your athletic department is in a pretty good place to hire his replacement you know with that kind yeah. of money so you know jed fish i think he's committed to arizona and arizona show they're committed to him but obviously that's how we are on december 1st 2022 as we record this things can always change it's college athletics yeah i think is this already the longest jed fish has had in a at one stop in the last <laughs> 20 years like if he gets um, to a third year yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's already entering another offseason, so I think it rounds rounds to three. Um, but the more he wins, the more he'll make. Yep. Uh, moving on to the next one, Adam, uh, from AZ Cats fan at AZ Cats fan five. Who has the better career, Scooby Wright or Jacob Manu? Oh, I mean, I it, I think I have to go with Scooby Wright because when you're like his sophomore year, you mentioned it earlier, Brett, just how great he was. It's hard to top that. You know, like as a junior, things didn't go. He was hurt, but when he was healthy, he was great still. I think neither one of those guys were highly rated coming out of high school, but Scooby has a little bit more of the, I don't know. I don't want to talk bad about Manu because he, that dude's a player. He's going to leave Arizona as one of the most well-loved players to come through there. I'm sure of it, but I can't expect, it's too much to put on him to make him Scooby right. That's too much. Yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're, struggling even too much on this one adam let's pump the brakes i love me some jacob manu but <laughs> scooby wright was under uh undersized uh as a recruit and jacob manu is even more undersized i love the kid i think he's a great player i think you're right he's gonna be a fan favorite he's gonna have a su- successful career but scooby wright is literally a you know literally one defensive player of the year his sophomore year and i just <laughs> he was the and, best linebacker in the country oh, you and, know, and chuck benarico he got jack lambert the lombardi <laughs> award Paco nagurski trophy like in his first team all back 12 back 12 years of player of the year all american unanimous in 2014 like, yeah and he was and, and he was lining up as a an, an edge pass rusher half those things and beating you know all conference tackles jacob manu is is going to be a linebacker and can't move around the, the 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 field very much, right? Like, I love Manu, but um, it's it's it, the answer is Scooby right, and it's not. It's, I mean, Manu did show an ability to get after the quarterback. Like we talked about the ASU game, the big the two big plays he contributed on the strip sure. sack, and he got to Borgay while not turning an interception. So the guy can play. Like clearly, oh, 100%. I, I, do you remember Jed? Did you hear Jed Fish's story after the game when he was asked about Manu? He's like, anytime he talked to like T Mac and Fifty, they're like, yeah, we got this linebacker. You should check him out, and then Fish went out there to watch those guys, saw Manu, and just offered him on the spot. He's like, I'm not going to ask the defensive coaches. I want you to be a Wildcat. Do you come? And he's like, sure. You know? Yeah. Like, that's it, it, kind of like, you know, two, like, like Scooby Wright. Like, you get these guys who, like, if you're Arizona, you're not going to get the four and five stars all throughout your roster. You have to get a three-star. You have to get an underrated, an under-scouted, under-recruited guy and watch them blossom into something great. Like, Scooby Wright did that. There's not a lot of Scooby Wrights. If Jacob Manu is the next Scooby Wright in terms of his impact, at U of A, if not the statistics, but the impact, then that's a hell of a find by this coaching staff and a great job. And also a credit to Jacob Manu for, I mean, for his freshman season to have that comp, to have that question even be asked shows just what kind of an impact he made as a true freshman. 
Yeah, I I th- I think that's right. Though I think I think he's he's going to have a more analogous career to like a as a two-star type recruit to like two-star Trevin Wade than a two-star Scooby Wright in my opinion. And Trevin Maybe. Wade was a really good player and I think he's a really good got, player. I think he got was a 7th round draft pick and had a you know had an NFL career. Um but yeah, let's let's just Let's set some reasonable expectations for for my man <laughs> but, Manu. But but a great season, a great freshman season for Jacob Manu. Like yeah, it's funny of all the survived guys, you could argue that he made the biggest of it. Like T Mac was great. Noah Fafita showed the, all the potential in the world. Kian Burnett, I think, next season as he grows into being a tight end, like he can be. You can see the talent there. But Jacob Manu's impact, like Arizona, does not win five games without Jacob Manu. It doesn't. Very true. So. Moving on to the next one, Adam. We have a lot of really good questions this week. Awesome. We have the the dude eleven twenty one at the underscore dude eleven twenty one. Over under on the for the number of silent commits Jed has uh, <laughs> two question mark. And will the defense next season be mainly underclassmen? <sighs> silent commits. Recruiting is one of the most fun and frustrating parts about being a college sports fan, right? Like these are 18 year old, 17, 18 year old kids. They can change their mind. Like either you're committed or you're not committed until you sign, you're technically not committed. I would think the over is probably, it's probably take the over of two. But I don't, I don't know. Like I, I've heard rumors of a couple of the guys out there who are likely Arizona. Does that mean that they've committed silently or that they're just leaning Arizona? I have no idea. And we won't know, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I. So first, I have to be like a silent commit is not a commit, <laughs> right? right like, even I mean, honestly, even a verbal public commit is not even really a commit until the, the that's what the I'm name saying. Signed, like right? the early signing period starts at the end of the month in a few weeks. At that point, if you sign, now you're a commit, like a real bona fide commit. But until then, you just I mean, you're, you can still do whatever you want, which is fine. Yeah, it's uh, I yeah. Um, in terms of the number. I know there's been a couple of ones that were rumored out there. I think one of them was the the linebacker commit from the Chandler area. I'm blanking on his name that just committed last week. Um, yeah, uh, it looks like you're looking it up for me. Uh, I think the other most likely one um, is Trey Spivey or 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 uh, Matt, was it uh, Malachi? Uh, I'm blanking on the receiver. The you're thinking of one Tay Brown is the commit. The Tay Brown is but, the commit. But yeah. I even hate to even talk about silence because like it kind of takes away if they haven't announced it publicly. There's a reason for it, and we don't know, right? Like if they, yeah. if like Trace Spivey, I've heard his name too, and maybe he is silently committed to Arizona. But if he decides to go somewhere else, maybe he likes what Kenny Dillingham's doing at ASU and decides to go there. Did he like? Was he ever committed to Arizona? Like that's that's where I don't want to put that on a kid. Say, hey, you were committed to this school. Like until you're committed, until you're signed, you're. I don't want to say free agent. That's not the term. But you're not an Arizona Wildcat until you are an Arizona Wildcat, which is fine. Like these kids have, a, they have a right to make up their mind and take their time and make a choice. Yeah, I, I think to to answer the question, I think um, with the announced the announced commitment that you just mentioned, I think it's probably under <laughs> two because um, I think it's probably Trace Spivey. Uh, and if you if you follow the Twitter machine, uh, Arizona's quarterback commit tweeted out a dancing cactus uh, with an "If you know, you know." <laughs> I I am speculating, but I assume that that is about Trace Bybee or one of the other receivers that that, that has been uh, bandied about uh, and rumored. I, I love people hanging on the tweets of like eighteen year old kids <laughs> like, with "If you know, you know" and a dancing cactus. What has happened to us? I mean, the best part is none of us know. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you know, you know. I don't know. 
I, 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 I'd like to think I know, but I definitely don't most of the time. But I think this question, and I'm not trying to like knock the question because I get it, but it goes to the point of like Jetfish offseasons. You mentioned earlier, Brett, like Jetfish has done such a good job recruiting, and we saw it with this most recent class, the 2022 class, made such a huge impact, and you get excited for what 2023 could bring. There's some good names already verbally committed to Arizona, and even like last year, there were some guys who didn't weren't committed early on, and Arizona ended up landing towards the end who've made an impact. So, you know, based on Jed Fish's first full recruiting cycle and that staff's first full recruiting cycle, that class, there's every reason to believe that the next one, it may not be, you know, have all the Servite guys, like the four stars and everything, but you can kind of assume and believe that it's going to be filled with some pretty good players. Yeah. Arizona fans, how quick we forget. And we're going to, we're going to end up in like at a, a class rank at number 40, and be like, oh, what happened to recruiting? And it's like, it's that's actually a pretty good class and better than you know in the fifties that it was a few a few years back. And you just, if if you if you have a high hit rate like Arizona's class did last year, it was highly ranked. But even some of the top performers were the guys that weren't ranked that highly, mm-hmm. right? Like Big Jonah wasn't ranked that high, right? Um, Jacob Manu was you know a, a mediocre three star at best, right? Um, Deuce Davis was one of those Arizona three stars that we've heard so much about. That I, that I hear a, another school is going to start focusing on uh, increasingly going forward. I look forward to seeing how the, the tune changes in terms of the coverage of the recruiting class then. Yeah. Anyway, I, that's side <laughs> <laughs> um, to the To the second part of the question, which I actually think is a, a, maybe even more interesting one, the, will the defense next season be mainly underclassmen? I think the whole darn football roster is, <laughs> is I mean, Arizona only had something like, what was it, like nine seniors on this team? Um and a lot of a lot of guys walked at the ASU game that have a year of eligibility with all the weird COVID rules, mm-hmm. but that's potentially an indication that they're going to be leaving. And if you look at like you know, I went and looked up the the depth chart to start the year for Arizona, um, and it's you you look at that and you say, uh, okay, yeah, I'm not sure there's one senior that's going to. Uh, I I think the the if there's an up, upper like a senior starting on defense next year, unless Keon Bar, it's Keon Bars and he's coming back and he's for sure starting. Christian Rowan Wallace could come back too. Well, I think he's probably gone, but oh, I think so maybe. too. But he could come back, yeah. You know, but you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of sophomores and and juniors uh, on on starting on that defense, yeah. Um, which is not necessarily a a bad thing, especially at certain positions, or especially when you see, you know we talked about how there's usually the biggest jump is between your freshman and sophomore years. And you see a lot of these guys on defense, Ty Ty, Deuce Davis, Sterling Lane. Uh, one of the guys that, that guys that finally got on the field a bit in the ASU game that looks really intriguing, just in sheer length and just has that look of athleticism. Isaiah Ward, man, mm-hmm. but he needs like 30 pounds on him, but he just looks athletic and, 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 and rangy at a, as an edge rusher. You know, I, I'm curious to see what develops out of those guys, but it's still going to be, it's not going to be a lot of uh, fourth and fifth year seniors uh, seeing the field on defense next year. No, doesn't look like it. And yeah, I think of the main of the starters on defense, like Hunter Eccles is gone, Harris is gone, Christian Rowan Wallace is probably gone, and Keon Bars could go. After that, it's going to be young players. But they're young players who we saw on the field a little bit last year, right? We saw Price Sock, we saw Takario Davis start to get some reps out there, get to get some playing time. We saw Hugo Laley. We saw Deuce Davis, Kangaika. We saw them on the field. And like, you're hoping that they take a jump in their next year. But there's reason to think that they can't. Because we saw that they're already fairly productive as freshmen or sophomores. What are they going to do 
next season. But yeah, the defense is going to go over, undergo the makeover that the offense did. Like we think about offensively last season, how many players who are key guys on that offense were part of the team the year before, you know, like yeah. Dorian Singer came on late at the end of the season. You had Michael Wiley and a couple offensive linemen that, that was it. And I think they're going to focus now on the defense. And this is also assuming that there's not a lot of attrition via the transfer portal, which there could be. But if you base it on just what Arizona has on their roster right now and what they finished the season with, there's a lot of reason to be excited about what the defense could be next season if a lot of these players who are very talented, like Price Talk's a highly rated recruit. Dakar is a highly rated recruit. And then the guys who are less rated, highly rated, but were productive, like Deuce Davis, you know, Sterling Lane, you know, guys who, yeah, if Arizona's relying on them next season, I think you can feel pretty optimistic that things will be you know, certainly not worse than last season or this past season, but probably a little better. Yeah, I think if if Christian Roland Wallace comes back, he's obviously starting. He'd be a senior. Jackson Turner. He's another guy who could go, yeah. But he could also go. Keon Bars, you know, another guy that's maybe probably in order of likely to leave is is those three guys of the the guys that could be like seniors on the defense that are that you expect to see hit the field a lot. But look at you, Ty Ty, Manu, Deuce Davis, Deuce Lane, Tia Savea coming back, Kangaika, Prysock. Uh, you know, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of youth on this roster. Even Paris Shand is only going to be a junior, I think, next year, right? Yeah, I'd like to um, see him come back because I like Paris Shand a lot. I think he's yeah. really good. But yeah, your point is well taken that there may be a lot of turnover, even on the defense, even on some of the names. There might be some guys of the names we just said there, and we haven't even talked about like you know, is Tyler Martin going to be in the mix next year, or is he going to is he going to be somebody that thinks about hitting the portal since he didn't get to see the field? You know, it's we we just don't know, but I think it's safe to say it's going to be intriguing come come spring football. There's going to be a lot of turnover defensively, just in terms of like the youth. The youth you saw this season is going to play a more prominent role next year, and I believe, like based on what we've seen from this coaching staff, the players they've been bringing in have been pretty good. So you'll take that. Like much credit if Jackson Turner leaves, Keon Barr decides to leave, Christian Wallace. Like they those guys played their hearts out. And they were good Arizona players. Like the defense wasn't necessarily good. Those guys were. So you appreciate what they did. But as this team, as this program morphs into what it's going to be, whatever it's going to be, then you're excited to see the players that they brought in and especially the guys from the 2022 class. Yeah. So moving on, Adam, from Monte Carlo Wildcat at Zona Zoolander, a very solid Twitter handle name. I like that. Uh, is this the first season that Arizona fans did not complain about our kickers all season? <laughs> I, thinking about it, we hardly ever talk. I think I asked one time during the week or during the show. I'm like, hey, do you, how do you feel about Tyler? Because he missed a field goal. Yeah, a one field goal, right. a single field and goal. I'm like, how do you feel? I'm like, yeah, we're fine. He's like, yeah, that's probably true. That, you know, I mean, maybe. Like, Austin Dorp wasn't as good as he was last season. We just didn't notice because the offense was better. Like, you never want your punter to be your best player, so that's fine. He was very good. He wasn't like great, but he was very good. And Tyler Loop was solid. Like the kickoffs weren't quite as long reaching the end zone towards the end of this season. But his accuracy for a college kicker especially was fantastic. Yeah, I th- I, I feel like competent was the, the, the specialist this year. That's the word to describe them, right? Like not superb, but not uh, not bad at all. Not where you're going to complain. Uh, I, I'm trying to think back to... When the last time Arizona fans did not complain about our kickers, I don't know, maybe back when uh, a young lad named Nick Folk was kicking for Arizona. Oh, no, people complained a lot then. He was a much better pro than he is college, his college player. 
Was he that bad? I remember no, him being not, he wasn't decent. that bad. But that's like pretty decent for put it in context. Like that's he was like, Yeah, he's fine. Yeah. I mean, he was he was an NFL draft pick as a kicker, Adam. Now granted <laughs> last year's kickers were good, right? You had Haversick and Loop combined, and Austin Dorp had an amazing season. So I don't think people complain about the kickers last season, but there was a lot more things to complain about too. Like and look at it this way, like no there was not a single time where you thought the special teams cost them a game. Like when Tyler Loop needed to make a field goal. He made a field goal. There was the end of the Washington game, but the laces were in. Why well, he missed that one, that would have brought it to within, you know, one score. Probably wouldn't have got the onside kick. It wouldn't have mattered. But otherwise, when they needed a field goal, he made it. Like, he he did his job. Austin Dorp did his job. Seth McKellar, the long snapper. Yeah, you probably forgot about him because he did his job. Good call. Also, I did look <laughs> it up to fact check, Adam. Nick Folk was all Pac-10 his senior year. So, But what, but what did he do? And also, how was the puncher that season? Well, I don't, I don't know, I don't remember, and I don't care to Google search Arizona Wildcat punter in <laughs> 2006. <laughs> you think you have better things to do? I mean, well, when you put it that way, it makes me feel really sad about my life, Adam. <laughs> but it, it is like, it's like they should return both of those guys. Was Austin Dorf, did he walk? Was he a senior? I think he walked, but I think he can come back. So hopefully he comes back because it is it's such a luxury to not think about your kickers. You know, how many times has Arizona lost a game because their kicker missed an extra point or something, you know, went why like, we see it happen all the time. Like kick teams lose based on kicks. Now granted, Tyler didn't have a you have to make this kick to win the game field goal attempt. There wasn't like, you know, clocks running down, make it, you win, miss it, you lose. But there is still pressure every time you kick, and he was he was solid. So, yeah, like that's that's a luxury that's really nice to have when you can be like special teams will not cost you a game. Like you never you don't expect them to win you a game. But when you know special teams is going to hurt you, that's such a nice thing. Such a comforting thing. Because because we've got a few more good questions. I'm going to move us on, Adam, to Let's uh, do it. AZ Cat John at AZ Cat John. Optimally, how many guys would you like to rotate on both offense and defense? <laughs> oh, geez. It's a real question, to, man. I know. No, trying to ballpark. Like, offense, not so many, right? Like, you figure, you know, I would think, depending on, like, if Jacob Cowing leaves and what the receiver room looks like, Kevin Green Jr. gets some reps next season. You know, Jones gets on the field more. Like, those are probably two really good prospects who will be much better next season, and they had no room to play this year because Arizona's receivers, their top three, were really good and stayed healthy. Um, and you're not, I'm not rotating quarterbacks, ideally. Offensive line, you'd like to have the same one all the way through. So, hopefully, offensively, you're only rotating maybe you know, through you got your starting 11, maybe another three or four guys, you know, running backs and a couple receivers in a perfect world. Right. Like, yeah, I, I'm going to read this as like, yeah, ideal, not, not counting like, oh yeah, I'd like to get Noah Fafita a few reps in a blowout game against you know, yeah. some small school. You know, I, I think on the offensive line, you a hundred percent would love to have five, only five guys every <laughs> game, all the time, healthy, I mean, it's that being said, it's great to get some guys with some depth and they get ability to have some flexibility. So maybe, you know, you optimally try to even rotate in a guy or two there just to get some reps and some some camaraderie and and, and whatnot there. Um, I think you're going to rotate, you know, three running backs. I think you're going to play at least two tight ends, depending on the format. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe sometimes both at the same time, oftentimes only one. Uh, I do think... 
And I think justifiably, I think Fish and the offense were a little stingy in rotating at the receivers because I'd like to see some of those young guys next year get some of those reps, like the Kevin Greens and the you know AJ Joneses and some of these guys that may be coming in. Uh, but who are you going to take off the field there? Right, right. Um, even at the even if you're going to say, oh well, we'll just pull a tight end off the field. Well, you're going to take you know McGronklin or or Keon Burnett. You want to see it on the field more, right? Um, so it's I, I I'm not sure if I did the math there, but I think that means like maybe 16 or 17 for different sets and and some rotation at running back and receiver um you know what though like offensively Arizona was remarkably healthy this past season too like I was thinking earlier today about how Jay Delora played like he didn't play every snap because they brought Fafita and some of the blowout and a couple of the blowouts but otherwise like he was healthy and after last season where Arizona went to like all their quarterbacks like all their quarterbacks got hurt (laughs) all their scholarship quarterbacks were banged up and missed time like that's remarkable and other than speedy Luke like the running backs were healthy and it looked like Jacob Cowan got hurt at the end of the Utah game and he was back for UCLA, right? Like they were stayed remarkably healthy. And even Jordan Morgan, like the offensive line was pretty much the same line up until Jordan Morgan against UCLA, which that was brutal for him. And we'll see what he does with his future. But like they stayed remarkably healthy offensively this past season, I think. I think for the most part, that's right. And you know, that, um, you know, there's the durability is an ability uh, I think applies to some extent on mm-hmm. the on the offensive side, and honestly, I think even moving over to the defensive side, I don't think there was that many uh, injuries this year, which is maybe a, a testament to Tyler Owens' training staff, right? Yeah, maybe defensively is where you'd like to see more rotating of guys. And now a lot of it depends on who leaves. Like we were talking about earlier about you know Christian Roll Walls. If he's if he's not back, then you're going to see new guys in at cornerback, and you might rotate some more players in there. But the defense itself started to get better towards the end of the season when they rotated guys. And that was because they were bringing in the freshmen, the young guys, or because they're keeping guys fresh. Either way, you'd like to keep doing that next season. You'd like to have guys where you defensive on your front seven, you can play 12 guys, you know, 13 guys, bring them in, get some snaps. So you're not having a guy play 40 defensive snaps. You can only play 25 and play really hard. Um, and then the same thing in your secondary. So, yeah, I don't know the exact number, but certainly defensively, you hope that they can have a rotation of, you know, 16, 17, 18 guys who they can feel good about getting on the field, depending on what package they're in and what point in the game. Yeah, I'd even say with all the rotations of packages that you have there and the guys you just want to keep, you know, on the line, you want to have you want to have a real two deep on the line. Right. And all yeah, those guys, 22. Rotating, yeah, you know, um, so I even think it's, you know, pushing 20 guys you want to rotate in on defense, given, you know, all the various spots you can, uh, can rotate guys in on maybe a Christian role and Wallace slides over to safety, which is maybe his NFL future if he comes back. Right. And you have Fizian's price and Takario Davis and some other guys at the corner spot. Uh, you know, they were doing the quarter package and the dollar package. You know, a lot of it I think is going to depend on uh, who comes in the portal at the, at the linebacker spot and maybe the edge rusher spot. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's maybe, more uh I, I feel better about the development of the edge rushers um to come in and play well next year with some depth than i do about the the linebacker spot jacob manu notwithstanding um but i think it's yeah i think it's i think you want to get to 20 on defense to be honest it'd be a, it'd be nice if you can like it, you don't you don't go into the season saying we want to play this many guys because players have to earn it like you can't get someone on the field just because like yeah hey, we just want to see numbers out there but if arizona has the depth to get to 20 or so players defensively now that injuries are going to play a factor for sure if guys are hurt, then they're going to need someone to play. But if you can feel good about 20 or so, I said like 16, 17, but if you can get to 20 players who you feel good about any given snap, then you're doing great. Then your program is in a really good place. It sounds like you're just flirting with me with all this depth talk, Adam. Yeah, well, drink. 
All right, moving on to, uh, I think this is our, our last one. Uh, oh, no, there are two more. Um, excuse me. Uh, we have from W Dan at Winston underscore Dan. Any news on offensive tackle Jonah Miller? He left Oregon and enrolled at a community college, but didn't play this season. Could he be interested in Arizona? I wonder if Arizona's interested in him. I remember that name coming up when he was in the portal. It's weird they didn't land anywhere, right? Like someone who's a four-star recruit coming from Oregon, got great size, good pedigree, but you think, okay, why didn't no one, why did he not end up at a power five school? Why did he have to go Juco? Like, I don't know. Arizona's going to need tackles. So Arizona needs linebacker. Yeah. I get that. But I'm just not sure if he's the guy based on the fact that he wasn't the guy for anybody. Like the last go around. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, on, on the surface, as it's framed in the question, Tucson kid, like it makes, seems like a match made in heaven. There's, it did. you know, it you did. know, it, and even more this season where the need is even greater at tackle with uh, Jordan Morgan injured and maybe moving on to the NFL and Peyton fears, you know, gone um, with uh, graduating. Uh, you know, we just don't know um, why he didn't land anywhere and why he went to community college and even weirder why he didn't play. Um, you know, that's, that's maybe, I don't the, want to assume anything. I don't want to put anything on him. I have no idea. Yeah. We but, don't know. I mean, yeah. it could be, it could be grades. It could be eligibility. It could be injury. We just, we just don't know. And it's all speculation. Um, I, I think it is, I, I, I can confidently say that if Jed Fish and staff thought he would be a good fit on this roster, uh, they would make the inquiry at a, at a minimum. Yeah. Right? And I wonder too, and, like Arizona, sorry to cut you off there, but like Arizona, the first go around the portal, Arizona was bringing a lot of Arizona guys, right? You got your Drake Andersons, you got your Isaiah Rutherford, you got Rutherford's California, but you got guys from the Valley, from the Arizona area, and not all of them have made the big impact. Like you know, like Malik Reed, you know, who came back from Wisconsin and he couldn't get on the field. It just so ideally, like obviously Arizona wants to hit Arizona hard. But the thing with the portal that you have to remember is that there's a reason they're leaving. It's not always someone like a Jacob Cowing who could pick their spot. You know, there's, it's not always a Jaden Delora. Like you can't necessarily bank on everything. Like they're leaving their original team for a reason. And you just have to figure out what that is. Is because they're not playing? Well, if they're not playing, why aren't they playing? Like it was Delora, he was kind of forced out when Washington State got Cam Ward. And like Jacob Kelly wanted to play on a bigger stage. But if there's someone who didn't play at their previous stop, you have to ask why. Because sometimes, yeah, maybe they just need a chance like Hunter Eccles. He comes over from USC and he was good. Like he just got his opportunity. But there's probably far more players who didn't play for a reason. And you have to be wary of that. I'm not saying that's Jonah Miller at all. But I think Arizona is probably going to slowly go away from just the Arizona focus, you know, getting Arizona players back home because Arizona's reach can be greater as they start winning more. And then also it goes back to why did Jonah Miller not play at Oregon and why did he not land with a program last offseason when he was first available? Yeah, like I like I said, I'm, I think if uh, I, Arizona is going to probably – get or try to get and almost assuredly will get some type of an offensive tackle in the portal this year. Maybe it's Jonah Miller, maybe it's not. And if it's not Jonah Miller and it's somebody else, there's probably a reason for that, right? Yeah. We yeah. just don't know. Nope. Um, all right. Moving on to, I think, our last question, Adam, from Gary L. Freed at GL Freed. Uh, any chance all of our skill position starters on the offensive side return? Yeah. There's certainly a chance. Like, I assume Jacob Cowing was a one and done for Arizona, but I've heard more and read more that, you know, until a guy goes pro, like, maybe he likes it. If he's getting a good NIL, he has no reason to leave. I just got a young kid in the Phoenix area, so he may not be anxious to go pro just yet. Um, and assuming 
the transfer portal doesn't come for someone like a Dorian Singer or, you know, I guess Michael Wiley, if he wants to go, like, you don't know. But yeah, there's every reason to believe that they'll return the entire skill position group. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure that Jacob Cowing did not walk at the at the senior day festivities, which was maybe the most uh, eyebrow raising of of the non participants. So you were there. He did not walk. Uh, I believe that is correct. I had maybe had a beverage or two, um, <laughs> and I, it was more of keeping track of everybody who was walking. Some so, of which were mildly surprising, um, and guys that still may come back. So like they Kayla were walking. Here. You were stumbling. It's all good. You know it. <laughs> it was a nice day, Adam. <laughs> um, no, but it, well, it was you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Jalen Harris walked last year and still returned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people have not walked and then left. Uh, so we just we just don't know. Um, I think that's he's really the only person that's maybe the question. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, the only other the only other one that's been some kind of not quite rampant speculation is in the age of NIL. Does somebody try look at Dorian Singer and try to throw him some money and get him to enter the portal? That's speculation, but um, maybe him or somebody else where they try to, somebody tries to buy away one of Arizona's players, but I think but Arizona's got a good NIL package in place already. That's the concern. Like Arizona didn't really lose any key guys to, due to NIL last season. Now Jed Fish was asked about that in his end of season press, and he's like, well, you know, the, the problem with NIL is if people are just using it to entice players to leave, whereas the idea is more to take care of the players you have. And he he's confident that Arizona does a good enough job of taking care of their players. But you also have to, I mean, it's, it's a worry when you're not USC. When you see what USC goes and get like a Jordan Addison, who was fine at Pitt, right? And then he's like, I'm going to go to USC. Now, is it a bigger opportunity? Yes, it's a better program. Um, with your Arizona, they didn't really struggle with that last season. But then again, I don't know if they had too many players that schools would want to come and poach or try to get you know into their programs. Is that the case now? No, of course. Arizona had a really good season offensively. And if you're a Dorian Singer, it's not fair to put it on him because you know anyone could leave. But if you're a Dorian Singer, you say, I'm not going to be the number one option next year. I want to go somewhere where I will be. Okay, I can respect that. I understand that. Um, but you hope that Arizona, with the NIL collectors that they have, can make it enticing and appealing enough to stay in Tucson for some like a Dorian Singer or for a T-Mac or for whoever it is. Because, yeah, if Arizona can bring back that offense, the skill especially, and as long as they shore up the offensive line, there's no reason to think they won't be even better offense. They were a good offensive past season. They could take another step forward and be elite next year with more time in the system and a little bit more experience. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And I, you know, I think it's, I think it's more likely than not at this point that all the the skill players return with, I think, Cowing being the biggest question mark there. And if that happens, you know, and add a lineman or two, boy, howdy, let's, let's, let's go. It's gonna and be that's fun. where, too, like some of the depth that we didn't see offensively skill-wise, the receivers, you mentioned A.J. Jones. We have Kevin Green Jr. who has not played. Like they didn't really do much, right? Like Anthony Simpson didn't do a lot um, this past season. There's some players where obviously you, their top three receivers – were their best receivers. And if you can bring them back, you absolutely do that. You bring all of them back. Yeah. But if you lose one, then you you don't know exactly what you have behind them, but you feel pretty good that there's some talent ready to step in and succeed for you. It's not a bad place to be. Like It's kind of like we talked about with a coach. Like If someone comes and poaches your coach, you know it's different because you don't get a buyout if you lose a player. But if someone's coming to get your players because you have good players. Like that's this is the reality that comes with it. If you have a good coach, other programs will want your coach. If you have good players, other programs will be interested in your players. Welcome to the era of NIL and college athletics in 2022, almost 2023. Also, welcome to having a competent 
football program. Yeah. <laughs> it just comes with the territory. It's like recruiting battles are going to go on and it's going to be rough and you're not going to win them all. That's what happens when you're competing mm-hmm. with the big boys. Absolutely. I think I think that's it for our questions. Awesome questions this week, though. Was that it for the mailbag at Wildcat Radio AZ on the Twitter handle? That was it. That was a great mailbag. Like, I, I think agree. this just speaks to the optimism around like Arizona football right now. Like people are interested, and not in a negative way. Like most of those questions had a positive tone to them. More curiosity of like, where do they go from here, Brett? And I feel like we both agree that they're in a good place, right? Like five wins isn't the goal. It's not the end game. But they're in a good place to continue this momentum. For I wrote something for AZ Desert Swarm, basically saying like they have to make a bowl game next season. Five wins isn't good enough. And I'm curious, like, what you think of that? Because to me, Brett, you have to keep moving forward. Like the momentum, you can only push this so far until you have to show that okay, we can do this. And I get it, but you've won one game, fine. You won five games, great. You know, you can't go back. And if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. I, I. I, I simply agree, Adam. Um, I, I, I think the, the fifth win especially also makes it where bowl, bowl eligibility is, you know, the minimum, right? I honestly think next year, if it's not seven wins, even though the schedule is not particularly easy, uh, you know, the, the definition of success has been raised, especially if you see some success in the, in the transfer portal on defense and at the tackle spot. Expectations are bigger and, and higher, right? Um, and if, if, the, if those skill guys return, it only makes it uh, more obvious. And yeah, I think anything, I think anything less than six is going to not feel great. Um, I think it's, and I think people are going to be shooting for shooting for more. And I think they're going to, fans are going to want, you know, Rose Bowl next year, which maybe doesn't <laughs> happen, but you well, know, this isn't to say that like if they win five games again, that Jed Fish should be on the hot seat, right? Like that's not only what you, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what you're saying. But it's more yeah. that to me, part of what made Arizona so successful this season was their early ad- ad- you know, adoption of NIL, their ability to manage the transfer portal. The fact that USC had a coaching change, Oregon had a coaching change, ASU was a mess. That's not always going to be the case in the ground like a- or with USC and UCLA moving to a different conference. We'll see what that does to them. But Oregon has their coach. ASU has a new coach. Like They're not going to be the dumpster fire that they were. So a certain advantage that Arizona was able to benefit from over the last year, year and a half or so aren't going to be around forever. Like they're going to lose those benefits. So you have to keep winning in order to maintain that level. Like you have to show that, yeah, we can get you to a bowl game. We can get you to the NFL and they have a precious window, I think, to do this. And they're in it like, and they're doing it so far, right? Going from one win to five wins shows that yes, you can win games in Tucson. Like things are getting better, but if you don't continue that momentum, the rest of the conference is going to catch up in terms of like the collectives for NIL. Like AC is actually trying to do that now. Like I, I watched part of their introductory press conference with Kenny Dillingham. They're like, Ray Anderson there, I thought there was like talking about how NIL and the trends were like this mystical themes. Like, how do we do this? We had to get a coach who could do this new era of, it's like, no, the other teams have no problem with this. Other schools have no problem with this. Like, this is just because you hired, you know, a 70-year-old coach who had no idea what college was all about. Regardless, they seem to have fixed that issue now with their new coach. So Arizona's competition, like their advantage in certain areas is not going to be as wide as it was the last couple of years. So if you keep winning, though, then you can negate any loss there by the fact that you're showing that you can do things on the field. Yeah, no, I think I think that right. That's right. But as a fan, we're going to say we quintupled our win total this year, Adam. We expect that to happen again in 25, <laughs> 25 games next year. <laughs> I think they'd make the playoffs if that was to happen. Um, 
I think that's a safe bet. I think they would have had to have made the playoffs to even get halfway there. <laughs> Math. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, of course, we're going to be talking more football down the road because early signing day is just a few weeks away. Arizona, we'll see what their class looks like. And just if there's any changes, of course, the transfer portal is a thing and all that. So we'll see what Arizona said. Jetfish offseason, everybody, like Brett mentioned earlier. These are usually good times, and we'll talk about all of them as they're coming. Brett, let's take one more break. And we come back, I guess, some bad times. Arizona men's basketball kind of they lost a game. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back. One more segment to go here. And Brett, <sighs> Arizona men's basketball had that great trip to Maui. We talked about that last week. They looked great. They moved up to number four in the country and they promptly you know, took that ranking and played one of their, I guess, easily their worst game of the season, but played really poorly and a loss to Utah on the road, 81-66, and it wasn't even that close for the majority of the game. Yeah, Arizona played like a team that hasn't played in, what, a week or a a pretty good while and had some rust and basically came out uh, half asleep for the first half and really never recovered, you know. Also, I I mean, it was was just a clunker of a game all round. Utah played played well, uh, probably about as well as they can play. Arizona, especially in the first half, played about as poorly as I think they can reasonably play. Yeah. Shot horribly. And even when they know they weren't shooting well, they still were just, you know, jacking threes when they weren't hitting them instead of trying to, you know, do the, the small things that help to win the game. The refs were bad in both directions and maybe a little bit more in Utah's favor, but that's not the reason why Arizona lost the game. Arizona just got beat tonight and it's a game you flush down the toilet and move on from. Yeah, the nice thing about basketball is that no single loss, unless it's in March, right? <laughs> like mid to late March, no single loss ends things for you. It's not a great start to Pac-12 play, of course. But Arizona was not going to go undefeated this season. They weren't going to run the table in the Pac-12. They're going to be growing pains. In this game, were they outclassed? No, they weren't outclassed. They got off to a horrible start. They made a run early in the second half. Utah made shots. Arizona, when they had a chance, when they had to make that one shot to kind of really make the comeback a thing, they missed. You know, Azulis Bell missed some bunnies. You know, Pella Larson did not have a good game. Courtney Ramey got going late, but it was too little too late. Kirk Reese had missed all five of his three-pointers. Pella Larson was 0 for 3 on threes. There was one even late, like three and a half minutes that he missed a wide-open look. I think if he makes it, Arizona's down like six. You know, it's like, okay, they're probably not going to win, but it puts a little more pressure on Utah. And to Utah's credit, they made shots. Like, they made those big shots. Utah made 9 of 25 threes. They have a guy, uh, Brendan Carlson, who made five threes, five and nine threes. He's a seven-footer. He doesn't shoot that many threes. He doesn't make that many threes, but he made them against Arizona, and that's how you win. But conversely, Arizona shooting 35%, shooting four of 28 from three, that's how you lose. 
So hopefully there's not too many more games like this in the season because if they play like this any given night, they're going to lose. Yeah, I tweeted out probably halfway through the second half that I'm I'm looking forward already to the game at McHale Center where Arizona beats Utah by 30. <laughs> that's how we'll, they'll be, you know, at home focused and probably not having the rust and with a little edge to them, which I think some of the guys on this roster like Tabellus needs a, that edge to be effective. But yeah, just a clunker of a game. Uh, hopefully they can they can turn it around pretty quickly and then, uh, you know, get the, get their act together before a pretty big matchup coming up with Indiana in, in what, uh, about a little over a week. A little more than a week, yeah. Do, do you take a lot, anything from this game, other than the fact that it was a clunker? Because obviously it's a tough place to play Utah. Second-year coach, Craig Smith, he's doing a good job there. Like, But, you know, Tubelis wasn't great. He was in foul trouble for much of this one. Um, and, of course, he did miss some bunnies, which he's, you know, apt to do. Courtney Ramey wasn't great. He wasn't efficient. Umar Bala was excellent again. But, you know, it's... <laughs> Can you take, or is it is it literally just when they say, you know what, that was about as bad as it's going to get, moving on? I I think what the biggest thing you could take out of take away from it is they were about as bad as you can get, and then still made some pushes in the second half. Where, like you said, I think it was Paul Larson missed the three. It could have been down to six with like five minutes left, right? Um, it's it, 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 to me looked like a team that has not been you know no, nobody's landed a punch on them and they you know they came out sleepwalking and utah threw a, a haymaker and hit them uh and it took them a little while to recover and then be like oh wait we can we're if we do our game we can we can win they kind of got let utah take them out of their game to a large extent um both offensively and defensively and then it becomes like a a little bit of a mental snowball thing. I felt like during that game until they kind of snapped out of it, but it was too little, too late. So maybe you can take out of this uh, that those those runs in the second half where it's like, oh wait, yeah, when you you can you can correct that course, correct that sooner in a game and not wait till you know eleven minutes left in the game and you're down twenty two points. Is this where though not having like a Ben Matherin really hurts you because having that guy who you can say, go get us a bucket, go end this run, you know. Like, and I'm not, I, I don't know if you, need, I don't think you need a Ben Matherin to be a really good team. And maybe if you have Ben Matherin, you still lose this game. Like Arizona lost games with Ben Matherin. So it's not like you put him on this team and all of a sudden they're perfect. But in this game, like Umar Bala was the only consistent player for them. Everyone else had moments, had stretches where they just weren't very good. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of little things that helped contribute to that. Azul Sabellis being in foul trouble that takes you out of your your rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Kirk Carissa wasn't playing that great. And I think a couple times had a little, you know, was a little gimpy for at least a few plays and just didn't play a great game. All He was a little out of sorts and it kind of starts and ends with him, in my opinion, in terms of making the offense go. Uh, you know, Courtney, the bench was not productive in this game. No, and Adama Ball looks uh, to not be making the leap we, we hoped at least so far. Um, he's not hitting his shots and just, you know, there, I mean, there's also just like all the little things and little calls, like the, the technical foul of that was nonsensical. You know, that was a couple point swing in the game. You know, it doesn't. It's not the reason Arizona lost. The yeah, the Adama ball flop technical on the three attempt was questionable. You know, there, there's but like there's there's bad calls in both directions. But it was just like there was a funk they couldn't quite get out of until they realized, oh wait, if we play our game, they can get out of it. And I think that's just a team maturity thing. But okay. I think this experience they can maybe learn from. Gotcha. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Obviously, we'll see how they bounce back. It's willing to lose a game. So I need to make sure that that one loss doesn't turn into two, doesn't turn into three, and that you correct whatever it was. If they came out sleepwalking this one thinking they could just show up, yeah, most it's college kids. They, sometimes they have to learn that. And of course, it probably meant more to Utah this game 
than I did to Arizona. But you can't play like that. Like, you have to come out and play hard because you're Arizona. If you have a number, whether you're ranked number four or not, when you have Arizona across your spot, the blue uniforms look great. Like sure That's the best part of the game was Arizona's uniforms were fantastic. But if you have Arizona across your chest, teams are going to give you your best shot. You know that. That's been the case for how long now? Where it seems like teams always play their best game against Arizona because it's a big deal no matter what their ranking is. So this version of Arizona is going to have to get used to that. Guys who weren't the guy last season, you're going to have to get used to that. You know, being the focal point of a team's defensive attack in a game where they're playing their asses off. So, yeah, not not a great game, not a good game. But their next game is they're hosting California, so it's not quite the road trip. They don't get Colorado next; they get Cal, and Cal's not any good, so that should be fine. If if they lose to Cal, we can all panic. They're zero and eight, including non-conference. <laughs> if they come back home and lose to Cal on Sunday, then okay, that would be that would be a bad sign. Well, my favorite thing is that there's going to be you know people being like, oh, they lost to an unranked Utah team, and Utah's going to probably be ranked like eighteen next week because they're going to be six and two with you know this quality win. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's early in the season. They, the Arizona will be fine. I'd rather lose this game now than in mid to late March. Yeah, that, that that's true. I don't think they'll be playing Utah in mid to late March. But if they were playing a Utah type team, don't play like this. Like better in December. Just just don't lose any games in March, and I I won't complain. In April too. Well, fair. I, no springtime losses. Your your point is taken. <laughs> if they how about don't lose another game the rest of the season they'll be fine you know i don't ask for a lot but i will ask for that adam there you go it's it's a christmas season might as well this is the time for asking for things right i mean i'm jewish i don't know but i, I assume that this is the time to do it jewish <laughs> <laughs> so brett you know arizona they're home against cal on december 4th then of course the next game is indiana that's gonna be a big game it's gonna be two top 25. We'll see where they rank now. Of course, Arizona lost their game, but right now Indiana's ranked number ten, and we have we have something big planned for that for that game, right? Yeah, like, we've got is, we've got we got something in the works for for all you you especially Valley Wildcat fans. Uh, that game is December tenth at five thirty. How do you feel about having a, a watch party with giveaways uh, that's sponsored at a fun bar in Central Phoenix? I feel pretty yeah. good about it. Yeah, we're going to put together. It's a Wildcat Radio 2.0 watch party at Casual Pine Central Phoenix, sponsored by Bonehouse Brewing. So we're going to have some prizes from them. We'll have some giveaways from us, of course. You know, come in, mention you're with Wildcat Radio 2.0. Maybe we'll give you a code, hashtag, you know, beer down. Does that work, Brett? Beer down? Sure. Who, who, and then, code for who, though? Well, for, we'll, we'll tell the Casual Pine people. And that beer will be on us. The first beer is on us if you, with, you know, code beer down. You know, oh, for being a Wildcat radio listener. I could get Just one. Better. We're not rich, you know. Just the first person that asks for one. <laughs> <you're down. laughs> if you're a listener, we hope to see you there, of course. We'll be there. The game's at 530, but it's Casual Pine Central Phoenix. And Wildcat Radio 2.0 watch party at Casual Pine Central Phoenix, sponsored by Bonehouse Brewing. Come on, watch the game with us. We'll have some fun. We're going to record a show, of course, right after the game. Hopefully, we're talking about an Arizona win. That'll be a lot more fun. But either way, we're going to have a couple of drinks in us, so the podcast will be great. And you'll want to be there for that. It'll be it'll go perfect and smooth. The audio will be great, uh, and we won't be slurring our words. Not any more than usual, I don't think. So uh, maybe more than usual. It'll be a good time. So, of course, that is going to be Saturday, December tenth. Arizona basketball, men's basketball does have a game against Cal on December fourth. But Brett, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Um, thank you to all of our mailbag people. Like that was great. Some really good questions. A lot of questions. We appreciate that because you know. Oh, so we do the mailbag every now and then, but if you want to ask us a question any other time at Wildcat Radio AZ, 
just send it over there. And if Brett notices and reminds me, we'll we'll ask, we'll answer that question. We got you. Yeah, and and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that the the great questions and the the great response this week was due to our our, our sexy new logo, Adam. I think I think we we're looking. We've never looked better. No, we we have never looked better. Oh, what the logo could have been though. What it what it could have been. Oh boy, y'all y'all didn't have a chance to see what Adam's um, attempt was. Come to the watch party and you can see it there. How's that for <laughs> oh, how's that for a thing? I like that. It has it has a it has big uh, '90s public access channel title page vibes. <laughs> hey, it worked then, right? People like retro stuff. Yep, '90s are <laughs> back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for the mailbag question. We appreciate it. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. You're probably listening to us via iTunes or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, make sure you're subscribing to us on both. But if you're on iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We will read a review on the show. Good or bad, we will read it. But yeah, football, offseason, usually fun. Hopefully it is recruiting, of course, signing days in a few weeks. And basketball, men's and women's are rolling on. Men's basketball has their first loss. <sighs> They'll be fine. And when it's best idea, Barnes, that team is rolling as well. So we'll talk about everything with Arizona Athletics in the coming days and the coming shows. But until next week, remember to bear down. Bear down.